The Gospels are the accounts of the words and works of our Savior Jesus. It's there that we learn of the acts of love that mean for us forgiveness and everlasting life. Join us to study one of these Gospels, the book of Matthew. Read a chapter and then listen in as our pastors from Grace discuss the marvel of God's words to us. We hope that you listen to Jesus' words and that with us you grow. Here's another discussion on a chapter from the book of Matthew. Good day to you, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us again here at Most Certainly True. Uh, we're glad that you're joining either for the first time right right here or that you've been following along with our once uh, one chapter a day uh, devotional walk through the book of Matthew. I'm Pastor Brian Hockman, one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm here with Pastor Hebner, how are you today? I am fine, Pastor Hockman, and once again, a privilege and a treat to be together as we do a little podcasting. And what could be more fun, we say this probably every time, but looking at uh, this wonderful Gospel of Matthew, and I remember a few weeks ago setting the stage with its background, so now just to take a look at it. and You know, it struck me, since we're going to be doing uh, Chapter 5 here, and talking about that in a few minutes, that that all of Scripture, God breathed, quoting from Paul's letter, second letter to Timothy, all special, all precious, all important. But when Jesus himself is talking... <laughs> the red letters. <laughs> you know, I don't have a red letter edition, but finally that's what we've got here in yeah. 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel, his Sermon on the Mount, that famous early in ministry sermon. But when the Lord Jesus is talking, isn't it time for us to listen? It just... <laughs> it really, it just... And I think, I don't know how you feel about it, but when you get to the familiar words of Jesus, like Sermon on the Mount, it, it is easy to be breezy and to, oh, I've heard this, so I've read this. This is really familiar territory. You can almost, in a memorized fashion, kind of recite chunks of this. And even if not word for word, you get pretty close. You know what he's going to say and stuff. You know, you've heard this. But when you stop and pause and ponder just the wonder of that God would talk to us, come in flesh and be with us, and then speak to us through all of Scripture, and then the Savior himself who's going to bleed later for, for my sins, is going to talk now. That that just, it, it makes you pause and go, wow, I get to hear Jesus talk. And I think of that attitude you know, you said it, I think, as we we're coming on board about this podcast can, is intended to be a little briefer so people can use it devotionally. But use your comment again what we could be doing with you. Oh, I, you asked what we're <laughs> expecting. I said, well, we could talk for three minutes about this, or we could preach eight sermons that are half an hour long. Um. Yeah. I know in your ministry, maybe it's happened, but I, I think that a good chunk of this chapter five in different pieces. I've done that. You know, there there have been sermons that are, and that's even not enough to cover the depth of the material we have in this chapter, and the next, and the right. next, you know, so. And then that makes me think of uh, was it Professor Deutschlander who said there's there's 40 sermons on every every Bible chunk, too. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. could grab a different highlight and a different uh-huh. truth and, yeah. and take it in a different direction, um, depending yeah. on the context and, and all of that. Right. So. And diving in, the way he starts a Sermon on the Mount, we call them the Beatitudes, blessed are those, you know. And I've already done a Bible study series, whether it's for our leaders or others, on each phrase. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Each individual, right? You know, so that's how rich and how deep and how penetrating and how marvelous this is. So I guess I put the toe in the water already with yeah. uh, what's here in chapter five. The and I've I've titled it when I've done it on one occasion. I think it was with our leadership group uh, Bible studies. The B attitudes. It's not so much what we do, but what we are like, what Jesus calls on us to be. And let's be honest, chapters 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount, this is, in a theological, technical terms, this is law, pretty much law. This is, we're saved, forgiven, and out of gratefulness. Now, Lord, give me some direction on how I can thank you. And that's what we got, is the use of the law. It exposes our sinfulness, and I need a Savior, but once we've got him, now it guides us in our thankfulness, and here we go. Right. No, there and there's a cut. You had mentioned some of the memorable, the memory work passages that mm-hmm. um, I actually highlighted a bunch of those, and like was was oh. not remembering how many quotable passages there are <laughs> in, in Matthew chapter yeah. five. But some of those that you might breeze past because you don't be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right. Yeah, Verse that's 48. one that I've got up here, and then sure. But now let's think about that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean, and how capable am I exactly. of doing that? And how lost am I without the one who is willing to be perfect for But isn't it marvelous for our podcasters and all to think about that as he's going to launch into this, where he's going to give us guidelines for thankfulness. And uh, like we said, this is law. Again, first use or whatever number you want at first, second, third, curb mirror guide or mirror curb guide, you know, whatever. But if it's a guide for thankfulness, thanks to his forgiving love for us, he starts with our attitude. You know, and that's really the the B attitudes toward toward God, and then toward others. That's just a, an amazing way that He's going to begin this. Um, and you know, as we track through, I'm not sure how much time you'd like to spend just on those, but that's that's a beautiful way. You know, the 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 terminology from the original language into English is perfect here. With blessed are those, blessed are the poor, blessed are, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, Oh, the joys! Oh, the happiness! Yeah. Oh, the, you know what? How do you express that really? In what English? does it mean and to it, be blessed? Yeah, it's you're happy if this it's, is. The it's case not lucky, for you. you know. It's not. Oh, right. I'm blessed. I'm. You know. I'm no. It, that that you know you, the, the the internal joy that fills you up and just oozes from your pores because you're. This is this is not like your life will be perfect or your life will be thrilling. Because he's talking about, you know, poor in the spirit or that kind of stuff. And uh, life is hard, but yet we have this deep abiding joy because of Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) I see Jesus kind of setting the stage Uh in the rest of the sermon. There's so much of, he'll even say, you've heard it said that, but here's what God's law really says and is deeper than what you've heard. Or the understanding is is different or it's the opposite. Yeah. What Jesus really, how Jesus really wants you to live, the mindset, um, and I see, I see a little bit of that opposites here in the Beatitudes. Uh-huh. Um, blessed are the poor mm-hmm. in spirit, and so much of the sinful nature is this quest towards I want to, I want to find happiness. Yes, and, and Jesus here is now saying, "Let me give you the key to happiness. Let me tell you what real, uh-huh. what real spiritual, eternal, lasting happiness looks like." That's really that's really well said because he's in the first line will say in spirit you know we're talking about not dollars poor or later on those who mourn not necessarily just because well you know my loved one died or I'm I'm in trouble at work but you know they're mourning about sin you know right. and then hunger and the thirst. sad sounds weird yeah. but it's those who mourn over hungry and thirst is not empty tummy but for righteousness you know so this is a whole spiritual thing and then to even say people 
when you're living as as a child of God, you're going to be persecuted, and yet you're going to rejoice in that. You know, you're. It's like First Peter chapter four. You know, when people persecute you, well, consider yourself happy, blessed, because it's a good thing, because you're 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 with Jesus Christ, and will always be. And even when you're picked on, well, that's actually a good thing because it tells you, I guess I am a Christian. You know that. Yeah. So he he's in got the same that. way they treated. Jesus, right? And I love the salt and light chunk that comes up. I mean, don't we use those pictures so often? Salt being so important in their world as it is in ours, not just a flavor, but for a preservative. And, uh, you know, that's what we are in the world. And the light that we get to shine, that passage is used so often, let your light shine. Right. And that's just so incredible. He introduces this concept of reward. Um uh-huh. There in verse um, 12, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. <laughs> yeah. And and he kind of circles back to that in chapter 6 and talks about rewards and, and contrasts the rewards of men or the rewards of certain <laughs> lifestyle choices yeah. um, compared to receiving uh, a lasting heavenly reward. I suppose we should talk about that in chapter 6. Well, not you, now, we can, but he sets the scene and, and sort yeah, of it's throws great, that concept on the table and uh, and then is going to come back to I love it. And let's, it. We can talk about it in six and just touch base. But I mean, when you get a reward from God, it's not because you earned it. It's it's reward is now a gift. It's we'll more it. like, uh, you know, just a surprise, like an inheritance that you just didn't expect. And that is, that's a beautiful thing. So yeah, that salt and light I mentioned earlier is a beautiful chunk. And then, of course, since we did mention that this is... Jesus speaking about our thankful living and using God's, quote, L-A-W, law, as a guide. Well, now the core of God's law is coming up with, you know, what what's really it all about. And uh, his demand for perfection, it's really clear in this section of Scripture. It'll come up again in chapter 7, but he, think, he yeah. introduces it here. I think verse 17 is a key one. Mm-hmm. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not <laughs> come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yeah. Um, Jesus doesn't come to to do away with the law, to sweep it under the rug, to say that there's no law for anyone now, but rather he's come to fulfill it in our place. Yeah. Uh, as people who couldn't live up to the law, as people who couldn't, um, Jesus fulfills it for us. And then the law and the prophets yep. is the, the Old Testament scriptures, the, the promises Jesus came to all of everything that Old yeah. Testament worshipers have been doing mm-hmm. and Old Testament believers have been looking to. It's yeah. Jesus fulfills the sacrifices and the Passovers and the all, festivals. And which it are, all, it's which are gospel promise forgiveness oriented. And the law is this God demanded. He did both. He lived in our place and then paid the penalty. And it's all summarized. It's in his little language there. I love that. Yeah. So I want to ask you about verse 20. Yeah. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, and that, you, can you say it any more clearly? It's the it's identical to what we have in verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you're going to go down the path of being, I'm going to get to God by what I do, well, then you got to do that. And Jesus says it this way here, right. unless your righteousness surpasses, you won't be in. Because this is a preaching of the, it's not gospel, it's law. It's saying, okay, you want to go down that path? Well, then you got to be holy. And you better be at the top. You better, you better be, be better than the yeah. ones who are known right. for their obedience. Probably the one of the concepts that I, I've found this, and you have too, when we're doing, you know, back to the basics instruction for people who are fairly new, 
it, it really has become clearer as I do what we do in, in pastoral ministry more and more as years go by, that you just simply cannot, cannot grasp our desperate need for Jesus and how essential that is unless you really take to heart and believe the law. The gospel doesn't make any sense. Okay, happy Jesus forgave me. He lived for me and he died for me. Da, 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 da. And I could take it or leave it. No. It, it, people would not miss personal Bible study opportunities. They would not miss worship on a Sunday. They would not neglect their spiritual life if they really, really understood God's law first. <laughs> Both original sin stuff, you're born with it, and then this, that God's standards are far higher. And I think that I've run into this. I'm sure you have too. That's a concept that's hard for people to get their head around. Both the original sin is as dangerous and damnable as any. Our inherited sin we're born with, we're just not neutral. Babies are not. They, no, they desperately need forgiveness. And then the other part is, well, God's standards are not like grading on the curve, try your best, you know, whatever. No, it's perfection. Whoa. And that's here. Right. And so whether that's people who've had exposure to other churches who soft pedal the law right. because it's more palatable that way, or it's just people who have this this in inbuilt understanding or, or they think it's an understanding yeah. that certainly God's going to reward an effort. Certainly God will see that I'm better, the comparison game yeah. or the I'm going to try hard and God's going to bless me right. regardless of what the outcome is. To me, it also comes down to, you know, understanding the law, back to the beginning, of course, because finally, what's this all about? I mean, why are we looking at Jesus' words, and why is the Scripture important, and why does... Well, because it has to do with having a relationship with God. And this is why I think a lot of people are... I don't think religion is that important, or I think being spiritual is okay, but I don't do church, I don't Bible study, you know, whatever. I, I get it, you know. But no, what's the alternative? If you do not have a personal relationship with God, the only God there is, then you're going to be separate from him forever, damned, under his anger, and that will not be fun. It's not like, okay, I'm going to go in the sauna and it'll be 103 degrees instead of, you know, 75 and perfect in heaven. It's not like, well, I'll be with my friends and it'll be a little bit uncomfortable. I'll hang out with the devil you know, and we'll play a little stud poker and we'll sit around the fireplace in hell. That'll be okay. And we just maybe are naughty people, like we're going to jail or something like that. And not pleasant, but, you know, you get three meals a day and you're just going to just go to hell. No. The torment and the torture of abandonment and lostness and emptiness and under God's anger because you deserve it and the pressure of guilt is so fearsome and so scary I don't think a lot of people grasp that. And so why are we talking about this, you know, like original sin is bad and God's demand is so high? Because it has to do with our relationship with God. And if you don't have it, you're damned. That's what makes this just incredible that God would then decide, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna still find a way to connect with you so you can have a relationship with me. But guess what? If you're going to go the, that you're going to earn it or do it, Keep in mind, the standards are, you know, that... Here's the way that works. It fits right. in the bigger context of, it's not just, here's my law, you got to be perfect, ha, ha, ha. No, it means something, because our, our eternity is at stake here. And that's what makes this dramatic, I think, when Jesus is 
teaching us here in chapter five. It, it just, it's just such an, an amazing thing that he is who he is. And he's, he's speaking as the son of God and saying, this is a relationship with me matters. How you live demonstrates your thanks matters. You aren't going to go this path. I'm going to look at you and see you're not very thankful. It doesn't mean much to you, does it? So (laughs) God's law is at work in this. Anyway, little diversion in our podcast talk, right? Yeah. That was was fun. But then look at these other sections that are coming up and all this practical stuff, right? Murder, adultery, divorce, oaths. So... um, What's your take on it when you start hearing Jesus talk about that? You've mentioned a little phrase before about you've heard it said, but right. go ahead. And, and what, yeah. what, what is I your mean, take when you're like, reading through five again, chapter five? I can't help but shake the, um, and I don't know how prevalent the pharisaical mindset was among the common people in Israel, but there's definitely an attitude that the Pharisees had that if I can just avoid <laughs> uh, killing people, then I've kept the fifth commandment. If I can just avoid... Uh, cheating on my wife, then I, I've kept the commandment uh, mm-hmm. uh, against that. But Jesus says, "No, actually, that commandment's a little deeper." Yeah, that's right. And that's uh, there's there's heart matters that that uh, that you need to consider, and yeah. that that God sees as well. So we have that section about fulfilling God's law and His demand to be perfect, and then now we have illustrations. And you just said it. You know, whether it's murder and adultery, it's in the heart. It's deeper. Um, I think one thing that podcasters, because we're not going to spend like all morning here for hours talking about chapter five, but um, one of the things that would be important for them to think through is that the translation we're operating with here at Grace now is NIV 11. I think they did a much better job with verse 32 than the previous editions. I had the same thought. Yeah, because previous editions made it look like uh, in this marital breakup thing and divorce, that there's something wrong with the wounded party, like we're going to say the woman is wounded and there's something wrong with her. But actually, that's not how the original Greek, and I think the new translation says it better, that if a guy is going to divorce his wife, and you know, except for marital unfaithfulness, he, 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 when he does that, he's making her look like she was the problem person and she wasn't. Right. And that is bad and sinful and wrong. So I just, you know, I think the translation, the way it comes out now, and maybe I didn't have to even bring it up because it, maybe they're, the, the podcasters aren't reading through NIV 84 or 78 edition, but it's, right. it's, I hope that people, if they have an older edition, are at least comparing with, uh, on, on um, you know, Bible Gateway or some other, other website that they can look at the passage in a translation that reflects what the original says. I had a, a teacher, maybe it was a, Maybe it was a some satellite seminary course that made up a word that said adulterizes is probably the best way to understand this. <laughs> that the the sinful party in the adultery does damage to the one who, yeah. even if she's an innocent party, yeah. does damage to her. And then even then the next verse puts a stigma on a potential future husband as well because scandalizes the woman makes makes it seem as if she like is damaged goods or right. you know whatever and now right. um so so your divorce is more than just sinning against god well, it's sinning against a woman and maybe sinning against a future spouse well think about well. how this plays out in my sinful heart or in your sinful heart and i'm not talking about people that i you know know or deal with pastorally and care about 
but it's some other couple that you come across and you hear about a divorce and then you're, it's, it's told that, well, yeah, the husband had been unfaithful. But, you know, sometimes in your sinfulness, you look at the woman like, well, what, what did she yeah. do or not <laughs> do that, you know, and that, how terrible is that in my, that's my sinful heart where, when, you know, Jesus says, that guy was the problem. Now we get it. To make a marriage work, it takes two to work at it and it takes generally two to screw it up. But in the, in the long run, if there is, in many cases, the, the wounded party is just that. And, you know, they're, so that's what Jesus is talking about here. And I think that's, that's important. He talks then, I'm, I'm moving along here without spending all kinds of extra. This, this is one of those things where podcasters, as you're listening to our podcast and thinking through and reading, studying devotionally, chapter 5, 6, and 7, where questions should come up in your mind and drive you to Jesus' words are clear and other portions of Scripture to back up what he says, because it does challenge us, you know, on how we have our attitude and treat other people and how we do the opposite gender thing in marriage and, and uh, how we use our words, you know, the, you know, that yes is yes. We don't need to add the name of God or any other kind of way to verify the truth we speak. We should just be able to say statements, mm-hmm. honestly, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4, without adding like God's name to it to make sure that, right. you know, so I, that he's just making it clear. You don't need to say that stuff. Be a trustworthy enough person right. that, that and, and what does bringing God's name into it add to? Right. If you're a trustworthy person and you make a promise to me, I, I can believe that. Yeah. And you dragging God's name into it doesn't uh-huh. make me, shouldn't make me believe you anymore. Oh, he must be really yeah. serious. And how does this stuff play out? You know, Sermon on the Mount. Okay, now you go to the next section. He starts saying eye for eye, to, you know, whatever. But I tell you, you know, turn the other cheek kind of thing. Well, then you get people sitting in my office or yours who say, Pastor, my husband has, you know, been physically abusive or whatever. And since I am a wife and I need to love and respect my husband, I just need, because Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, you know, Jesus says what he says and he means it. But again, he's not saying here in the Sermon on the Mount to be stupid. Right. And sometimes the best loving way, if you're in that kind of a situation, is no, your husband needs to be in jail, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So he's not saying take abuse. Right. What he's saying is, you know, there's a heart of love and forgiveness that goes among in a Christian in all cases. And you go the extra mile and selflessly give your coat or turn the cheek and whatever and be willing to take abuse, but don't be stupid. You know, so there's other scripture passages that apply to these principles, and our podcasters should be asking themselves, you know, where does this go when Jesus says what he does and not take it out of context. Right. Yeah. For me, it's what's what's my motive? Is it to even the score? That Mm -hmm. person hurt me, and so now I get to hurt them to that level too. Um, That's what the sinful nature says. Or you should probably take it up a notch because yeah. uh, you've been so inconvenienced here. But See, no, the, be and, willing to be yeah. wronged. Be willing to mm-hmm. um, to to continue to make love your your driving motivator, which ties into love enemies as he winds up the chapter. You know, so what what if somebody has been mean to you? What if you're a child growing up in an abusive home? You know, how do you? It, you know, what What if somebody at work, you know, is mean or abusive and everything, and you quote, and, and you know, whatever, and I need to forgive, I need to just let it go. And Well, sometimes the best and loving, most loving thing to do is to look at that person eye to eye and say, you know, this is sinful and wrong, and you've hurt me, you've hurt your relationship with God, you've hurt, you know, and to be honest about it, and 
that's the context, I think, behind all this love enemies sort of thing, and not to ignore and to say, thank you for uh, harming me and being an enemy. And I, well, that's not what Jesus is really talking about. So I, do, I just think that's for podcasters to think through. This is not just piece of cake stuff where you read Sermon on the Mount. And oh, yeah, that's easy to do. No, that Jesus is challenging us. How yeah. do we apply these principles in a very practical way? Yeah. Pray for those who persecute you. Is a, yeah. That's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pray for my family. Pray for the needy. All those mm-hmm. are pretty easy and yeah. uh, natural. Pray for those who make your life difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> because the same Jesus who teaches this about loving enemies is the same Jesus who, you know, in chapter 6 on prayer is going to say, your will be done on earth as in heaven, which is, all right, Heavenly Father, if there are people who oppose your good news and gospel and prevent the kingdom, then do away with them. (laughs) So it all fits together, but we don't take his statements here so far out of context that we misapply them. Yeah. Guess who got prayed for when they were an enemy of someone? You and me, right? right. Jesus prays for us and does more than just pray. Yeah. He yeah. lays his life down when we brought nothing to the relationship, when we <laughs> were born in sin and hostile to him. Yeah. Um, he saw us for what we are, uh, children that God dearly loves, yeah. and he did what he could to bridge that gap. So what a joy to do chapter five. Yeah. And I uh, hope our podcasters enjoy this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, because all of Jesus' words are most most certainly certainly true. Thanks for joining us in our effort to read and grow through the Gospel of Matthew. We'd love to share more Jesus with you. Learn more about Grace at our website, www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship time, Bible study resources, links to our digital media resources, our pastor's contact info, and a lot more about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.